Hello, and welcome to Beyond the Shelf, the product and packaging podcast, where we interview the people behind the amazing products we use every day. I'm Laura Foti, and today I'm thrilled to be speaking with longtime retail and sustainability packaging executive Suzanne Fisher. Uh, I met Suzanne at Pack Expo last year, which is hard to believe, and she had some of the most amazing stories. And I pulled her aside after dinner and said, you have to come on the podcast. So thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, really impressive background. Uh, you've been a certified packaging professional with more than 35 years of experience in packaging design, engineering, purchasing, sustainability, and team management, working for companies like Home Depot, uh, a small retailer we may have all heard of called Amazon, uh, Wayfair, Sam's Club, and Herman Miller, uh, among others. She's received numerous industry accolades and was inducted into the IOPP College of Fellows, named IOPP Member of the Year and inducted into the Michigan State University Packaging Hall of Fame in 2014. She might just be one of the goats of packaging. Well, thank you. Suzanne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I think I'm just long in the tooth, so... (laughs) Uh, and we have, you know, so many MSU grads here today. We're recording live at, at the Specification Management Summit. Um, but let's get into it. You spent part of your career at one of the most iconic brands, Herman Miller, known for their very upscale office furniture, among other things. What was it like packaging one of the most expensive chairs on the planet? You know, it was a lot of fun, but the expectation, of course, was very high. And at that time, you know, the Aeron chair was um, introduced in 1995, won the design of the uh, of the century, actually. And at that moment, packaging as a percent of cost of goods sold wasn't really that high. The expectation was it's furniture, it's durable, get it there as inexpensively as you can. So there was a lot of pressure on uh, cost expectations, even though it was a, you know, $800 plus chair. Yeah. Uh, today, I think we'd think about that a lot differently with uh, damage and transit and things like that. You were there during a very interesting time when, you know, the birth of e-commerce was happening. They introduced uh, Herman Miller Red. And, you know, you talked about, oh, shoot, all of a sudden we have to ship these chairs differently than we had before. Can you walk us through what that was like? Yeah, I sure did. So in 2001, and it was an interesting time to launch Ecom for uh, a distribution network that was normally through dealers and through truckload or less than truckload quantities, certainly not UPS or FedEx. And they, the expectation was, you know, to ship small parcel, you had to be within the 130 inch girth. So you had to take the back off the chair. And at the time there wasn't such a thing as an ISTA test for e-commerce or small parcel. So I would, I tested it, uh, unfortunately to just a, uh, a less than truckload mechanism and it passed. And then once we unfortunately <laughs> launched into the e-com, we started having some breakage because mm-hmm. it wasn't, uh, I tested to the wrong distribution environment. I called ISTA. They said they had a draft proposal for an e-com type, uh, packaging, uh, test protocol. I tested it to that. Um, we added, it was exciting because I actually got the company to add material to the chair of about 25 cents of resin rather than $6 of extra packaging material. And that was one of the rare times in my career I've gotten the product to be designed differently rather than adding so much packaging cost. I love that. And, you know, for our listeners, um, ISTA, International Safe Transit 
Association, Association, our friends, AJ and Eric over there. Um, people don't realize the amount of effort, time and testing it goes into shipping something to them. And so what, what you're describing really was such a breakthrough in the fact that no one had done, you know, this testing through e-commerce. They looked at damn, you know, damage rates, all that stuff was new. And it, it's just so interesting that you were able to be a pioneer there. You then went to Pratt Industries where you led the sustainable, you know, sustainability in packaging, probably before it was cool, I would add. Uh, it's certainly something we've talked a lot about here at the summit. How have you seen sustainability change over the past 10 or 15 years? You know, I'm thrilled with what I'm seeing in the recent months, um, very recent months, because in 2008, when I joined Pratt Industries as director of sustainable packaging and business development, um, you know, there were times, honestly, it felt like it was a figurehead position because they're a hundred percent recycled paper company. But what it actually got you in the door to have that position in the company because it was new. People were a little nervous. Companies like General Mills or Unilever knew that they had to get on the bandwagon. They didn't know how, um, but it still felt like a struggle, like a tug. And now, you know, companies like uh, Nestle, companies like Conagra, Procter & Gamble are all literally doing this wonderful sustainability work to become 100% recycled material or increase the recycled content without the push of anyone else. They're doing it with their own um, their own desire at stake. And so it's, it's really, really encouraging. Yeah, I'd agree with you. And, you know, Corey Connors, shout out to Corey. He has the uh, Sustainable Packaging with Corey Connors podcast, which I love. And they were talking about the Nike shoe box that has, you know, on the top, it, it talks about the goal of getting to net zero impact and uh, what, you know, material it's made out of. And you're just really seeing it as a consumer and the brands are seeing the value. But my favorite takeaway that Corey had was it's not just great for the consumer. Nike got rid of one of their boxes. So the shoe box is now just the box it's shipped in. It's not a box within a box. And that saves them a ton of money. It absolutely does. And what I'm, what I still feel that the brand owners need to do is publish, publish, publish. And I know some of it is a confidentiality. They don't want to let us in on their progress or on their development. But I was at a, the West Michigan Sustainable Business Forum on a panel uh, with Camille Chisholm, actually. And there's so much, um, misunderstanding out there as far as what companies are really doing. The consumer doesn't feel like the companies are doing as much as they really are. So let us in on it. Let us know what you're working on. I really feel like, I think I've talked about this before in the podcast. It's such an opportunity for marketers. Why aren't there more commercials of companies talking about doing this? Because it's such an opportunity to sell your product without selling your product, yeah. to educate the consumer, because we've seen consumers want to change. We don't always, we need to understand the why behind things. Um, so I just think there's so much opportunity there. Uh, you then kind of dove into retail. Mm -hmm. You worked at Sam's Club, and uh, which, you know, owned by Walmart, and then at Amazon. What did you learn from those experiences on the retailer side? You know, at, at Walmart, of course, the largest retailer, they were dead serious about their damage and their customer experience. And they would literally, if you had a damage allowance as a supplier, they would literally hold you to it by, you know, debiting your account for what you went over and damaged that month. Um, so they were very serious about it. 
uh, with Amazon, it, it, I really joined the team at a, a very pivotal time because it was because of the star ratings that were being perceived. You know, Amazon for years was, please sell to me. This, if you can imagine, way back when, please sell to me. We want to be the everything store, you know, according to Jeff Bezos. And then what they didn't realize is the star ratings started having and being impacted by poorly packaged products that weren't used to shipping an e-commerce um, uh, network. And so it was great because the shift of the importance of packaging happened coincidentally while I was there or had started before I got there. So that's amazing. Um, you know, I heard that you got a famous email from Jeff Bezos, which, uh, at first sounds really, really impressive. Yes. Um, but, uh, walk us through the, the backstory there. So as part of the CPEX team, the customer packaging experience team, you're on, um, shift work during the holidays because of course we want to be, they are one of the most customer centric companies in the, in the world. And you, uh, have I got an email, which it's just a question mark in the subject line, just a question mark. And it forwards a customer complaint that he had received. And in essence, it was the comment of uh, a, a three-year-old saw a package sitting on its front stoop um, right before Christmas. And you know, the mother, of course, thought that that ruined Christmas for the three-year-old who can't read, by the way, but, you know, who won't go there. <laughs> and so you have 24 hours to respond on how we can fix that. And they now have since implemented the, do you want it concealed? You know, uh, you can check that box if you need a gift concealed. So meaning put in their own Amazon packaging. So I love that. So mm -hmm. parents everywhere should be thanking you for saving. Oh, I Christmas don't know about the me, kids. but yeah, it's, it, it was a little it, crazy. You know, I, I love that because we talk a lot on this podcast about the intersection of products and packaging and why it's so important. And that's just the perfect illustration of how packaging has become really the front door for consumers and a part of the experience. And obviously Amazon has since gotten a lot of uh, flack, rightfully so, about the sizing of their packaging and people saying, did I really need this big, you know, shipper envelope for this tiny cord? But the reality is it's hard. It is hard. Um, and yeah. that's the number one, the number one complaint is, hey, I received this small item in this large box and they have all of the, um, IT and the um, intelligence in the world to try and figure out the smallest um, package product to package ratio, but it's still hard. You can't have a thousand boxes or a thousand envelopes in the fulfillment center for each uh, packer to pick from. So it is, it is a challenge. But, you know, I think that getting back to a comment you made earlier, you know, as far as companies being boastful about what they're doing, we're a very forgiving society. And especially when it comes to sustainability, go ahead and try something. If it fails, we'll, we as consumers will forgive you. We'll be um, rooting you on because you tried. I think that's so important, um, especially again, if you're telling your story and, and educating them. You know, the idea, Amazon really pioneered this concept of like same day, same hour delivery. Do you think that's here to stay or do you think things are going to change? Because that, that has an impact on sustainability, truck routing and so on, so forth. It sure does. I don't think it's here to stay. I'm hoping it's not here to stay. I hope we, through COVID, um, learned that, you know, at first during COVID, you wanted things there as quickly as possible because you were ordering essentials such as toilet paper 
um, or baby formula, right? But then now we've realized that, you know what, we really, if you don't need it until your one day a week delivery window, please don't order it. Let's be, let's all contribute to the, um, the, uh, smartness of how we order and demand things. It's so true. You know, I, I try to be conscious, a conscious consumer. I, I can't say that I do all the right things, but one of the simple things that I've realized is, do I really need to order this online or can I just go to the store near my house? Right. Do I really need to order this online from Target or can I go p- order it online and pick it up in the store? Um, and there are just these tiny, you know, some of my friends, I joke, you know, one of my good friends composts and I'm like, she's religious about it. And I'm like, wow, that just seems like such an effort for the apartment complex that I live. They don't really accommodate that. Um, but there's other things we can all do yes. right, collectively in terms of behavior. How can people who are not as familiar with packaging make those small changes? You know, one of the things is simply knocking down your box. People put have a recycle bin and whether it's in your apartment complex and it's a large container or it's your own personal bin, knock it down because the municipalities are just like everybody else. We're all tight for time and tight for people, right? And resources. And so if you have, uh, you know, I live in Michigan. If you have a resource for a municipality that either is going to snowplow or pick up recycling, let's hope that the recycling bins are as full as they can be because you've flattened your box. I mean, a simple Hmm. thing. The other thing I would suggest is making sure that you're really understanding where your materials are going. I was at my curbside the other day and I live in a condo and the gentleman across the way was about 80 or so came over and he, he threw his bag in my, in my uh, recycling bin. I'm like, John, that can't be recycled. So it's just helping promote education and knowledge where you can. I love that. Um, well, I could talk to you about this stuff all day and I know you have um, many more stories, but I want to close out with my favorite segment, which is our rapid fire questions. Uh, what's your favorite product right now? You know, I, I have this favorite little product. It's crazy. But if you have an iWatch, it's the little charger for the iWatch that's you know, it's cord free, right? Wow. So you just put it in here. So I need is, one of those. It, it's like 10 bucks. And so, you know, it. instead of having one more cord to keep track of. Oh, it really <laughs> is a little, trust me, I, I feel that. Um, what product or packaging trend are you most excited about? I'm most excited about the fact that sustainability truly seems to be having a re- resurgence. I love the fact that there's enough, honestly, um, friction right now, that's going to be a healthy friction. For example, people are questioning recycling rates. You know, there was a article uh, or an expose either on 2020 or 60 minutes years ago talking about how recycling pickups weren't getting to recycling to MRFs, they were going to landfills. Unfortunately, my generation and people that saw that haven't forgotten that. And so we need the MRFs or whomever to help us understand that, yes, they are taking the materials to the right places. So I love them. the discussion of sustainability resurging is great. The MRFs, mm-hmm. um, it's funny. I think I'm going to do an episode more about that because oh. that's a whole underbelly of supply chain that most people never know about. And it's fascinating. It is fascinating. Oh. I mean, some of the small things that they just plain can't recycle because of their system. So, yeah, I know uh, famously Jay Singh has told me that plastic straws don't, you know, there's so many debates around what can or can't be recycled and claims. And um, it's, it, it really is an interesting area. Uh, well, our last segment will be kill, keep or change. 
Um, we're going to give you a list of three random products. What would you keep as is? What would you kill or, or discontinue if you're being nice? Uh, and what would you change? So the three things I have for you are slippers, like the little hotel slippers, mm-hmm. uh, mascara, mm-hmm. and jelly, like peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> so okay. what would you keep, kill, or change? Um, I would always keep the slippers, I, you know, especially as much as I travel and I call it carpet cooties. So <laughs> I, I would keep the slippers. Um, I would change, what was the second one? Mascara. Mascara. I would change the mascara because um, you don't ever know how much you have left in the tube until it's dry, you know, or it's it's gone. So I would have some sort of uh, level uh, visibility there. And I would, yeah, I would kill jelly. It doesn't. Well, listen, I know we have some beauty companies (laughs) listening. So I'm all about, I think the clear mascara tube is, Mm -hmm. I I wonder if you know why this hasn't been done, let me know. I'm I'm curious. Um, Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us. How can people follow you and, and what are you up to these days? So I um, left corporate world uh, August 1st and I'm doing some contract work and some consulting at fisherpackaging.com. Um, and I'm just happy to be here with you. And thanks so much. It was a great event this week. So thank you. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, we're, we're live in Nashville. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, and for those folks listening, I want to hear from you. What are you liking? Who should we have on next? What topics do you want us to talk about? Uh, you can hit me up at laura at specright.com. That's L-E-U-R-A at specright.com. Or you can find me on LinkedIn at Laura Footy. Thanks so much, Suzanne. Thank you. Beyond the Shelf is presented by Specrite, the first cloud-based platform for specification management. Say goodbye to spreadsheets, share drives, and legacy systems, and digitize your specs in a secure single source of truth. With Specrite, you can easily share and collaborate on specs with other departments and across your entire supply chain network. Taking a spec-first approach enables you to accelerate product and packaging development, go to bid faster, report on sustainability, and ultimately spend less time chasing data and more time making amazing things. To learn more, visit specright.com. That's S-P-E-C-R-I-G-H-T.com.